what what ended up happening was another eight months at this expert dentist practice. Uh, during this time, he had his partner work on me to give me what I was told was two root canals. I later found out it was only one, and he just put a cap over the other one. So that would explain some of the pain that I was still having. I found out that the x-rays that they took never turned out, which I was charged for. So they could have seen infection and things going on there, but I ended up in the ER with the stroke unit called. And then I went to the dentist two days later. This orthotic that was put on my mouth wasn't working and it was hurting. So, you know, this dentist ripped it off. And when I say ripped, I'm not kidding. Like you have to drill it and then you have to rip it. It was still a nightmare. And now I was starting to have pain searing through my jaw into my head. My eye would not open all the way. It was so painful. Felt like someone stocked me in the ear. It was pain I have never felt before. I ended up back in the ER. They told me uh, they didn't know what it was. So finally, I went to a neurologist who right away said, you have trigeminal neuralgia. When that goes awry, they call that the suicide neuralgia. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. This is Scott Simpson. And in this episode of Medical Error Interviews, I chat with Andrea Carlo Musto. Andrea is a fitness trainer and in great physical shape, but it has been a tumultuous road to get her body in peak condition. With a detour through anorexia, where she weighed as little as 55 pounds and doctors had given up on her and sent her home to die. Due to her own research efforts, Andrea survived anorexia but she is now dealing with years of pain, a looming bankruptcy, and crushing stress due to repeated dental errors that have caused a stroke and pain so intense people commit suicide to escape it. Andrea has tried every avenue to get her teeth fixed, but meets successive roadblocks and dead ends. It turns out dentists have little oversight and even less accountability. Some of them are going for a weekend course to learn dental procedures from dubious dental teaching organizations. 
and then start practicing on unsuspecting patients, charging tens of thousands of dollars and sometimes causing permanent damage. Andrea is one of an exploding number of people coming forward to share their dental nightmare experiences. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and other podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a podcast patron. Do you need the support of a counselor for your own experience with medical error or for living with a chronic illness or LGBT issues or any of life's challenges? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Andrea Carlomusto, and a word of warning, some people may be upset by Andrea's experience with the dental profession. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in Livonia, Michigan, so it's a little suburb of Detroit. I come from a family of six. Uh, so my dad is an Italian immigrant, came over here when he was younger. Uh, my mom has always lived here. And we were pretty happy, very artistic family, encouraged to sing and dance. School was, was a very big focus. So yeah, we were pretty pretty typical family, pretty happy, active in sports and all that good stuff. So. Okay, so it sounds like your parents um, sort of set goals for you, sort of levels that you had to achieve that you were expected to do well in school, participate in sports. Yep, there was no coddling, and I definitely appreciate that, especially today's day and age with what I see. So there was no coddling. They asked something of you, you did it. Uh, you know, they, they taught you the basics, and you did it. <laughs> so very straightforward family, especially with my dad being from Italy. It's just very, very simple. This is what it is. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> So uh, you grew up in Michigan and you're still living in Michigan? Yes. Um, after high school, I did move to California for a little while with my band, but they decided they wanted to be actors instead. Um, so I was kind of left there to do bit parts and all that stuff. I don't like acting. Uh, I think it's hard enough being truthful in real life. So why do you want to lie for a living? Um, I got homesick. I didn't like that fast paced life. So yeah, I came back. And had some struggles, but doing pretty pretty well now. <laughs> uh, so you went to California to work the band, uh, and when you came back, what sort of career path did you follow? I didn't have one, to be honest. Um, outside of high school, I was debating military. I didn't know if I had what it took. Um, I was a singer um, in in high school in a special program. So one of my teachers uh, managed to get me an audition for. Uh, uh, college and I got a scholarship for opera singing, believe it or not. And I ended up downtown Detroit studying opera, but lost my scholarship due to health issues. So 
that's when the real story of my life kind of takes off. <laughs> okay, so what happened with the health issues that scuttered your operatic career? From age eight, I was uh, dabbling with eating disorders. So I've got, I got severely anorexic. Um, at my lowest weight, I was around 55 pounds in my early 20s. That causes a lot of damage, you know, uh, to the body. So I literally couldn't walk anymore. Um, they were waiting for me to die. So uh, what they do with anorexics and bulimics that don't have health insurance, because at that age, you know, you're outside, you're 18 year old, you don't have your parents anymore. They put you in the nutty bin. <laughs> That's where they put you. Um, so I was put in there inpatient for a while and pretty much they just uh, sent me home to die. There wasn't really much more they could do. So I got home and figured out how to get myself better. I just started taking old books and researching and researching. I did not want to die. and uh, grace of God, figured it out. <laughs> okay, so yeah. what did you figure out? And perhaps you can explain uh, more about your eating disorder. What do you think caused it and what do you think helped it? What I think caused it is lack of control. I know there's a lot of um, debate and, you know, a lot of doctors, I give them credit, but it's a super complex because you're dealing with something they label a mental illness, but it, and granted it is, but I think they need to really examine the obsessive compulsive behavior rather than um, I think I'm fat. I, I never really thought it was fat. It was more of playing mental games with myself that I took too far. And I work with a lot of people now in my career now in fitness where I call them on it and they, they think I'm like this, some great magician that I know what they're thinking. I'm like, no, I've been there. I've done that. It's obsessive compulsive um, thinking uh, paired with control issues. You, you want to control everything. You want to fix everything. You want to be a perfectionist. You want to make everyone happy. So there's a lot of people pleasing, a lot of trying to be perfect, but it's more of playing games with yourself mentally. And it just goes too far. And then eventually, you know, you starve your body enough. You're not getting you know, the hormone production. So yeah, you're going to have some mental illness problems, but I don't think mental illness, uh, the way that it's reported is really the basis of eating disorders. I think it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's a lot of physical with uh, neurotransmitters and hormones and all that good stuff, but it also goes with the perfectionist attitude that we just take a little bit too far. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, I've done a lot of research on it since. Um, because a lot of um, medical providers and mental health providers don't fully understand. They really do try to help, but there just isn't enough research out there. And um, I'm kind of a traitor to my own illness because I tell the truth on it. And there is a lot of lying and manipulating by the patient. You know, we're not stupid. We might be itty bitty, <laughs> but we're not stupid. So there, you know, a lot of people don't like to come out and say that, but I was the best liar like the best liar and manipulator. And that's something people really don't want to tackle. And I think that needs to get tackled because how is a doctor or a mental health professional supposed to do their job if they're not getting the truth from the patient anyway? So I think the key to um, getting better from that is focusing on something that is a little healthier to be obsessed about. Mine happened to be research. <laughs> I got obsessed with research. And then I loved fitness. 
Um, and I just learn, learn, learn. And I always said I just distracted myself with life. I, it was time to live life. So I just wanted to do as many things as I possibly could. And that was the key to, to me getting better. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, that's quite the journey unto itself. Yes. <laughs> and how much of a struggle is it now with eating healthily? Oh, eating healthy is easy. I love it. Like, uh, we'll probably, we'll get into it, I'm sure, with the dental issues. That's probably been the hardest part of my journey right now. Um, I have no issues with food. Um, I think when people say they can't recover or, or it's something you have to deal with the rest of your life, I think that's completely false because I'm living proof. I don't look in the mirror and see something different. I don't feel the need to diet and over-exercise. I live life like anybody else. I think a little bit more positively since I've been at the edge of death. <laughs> I never want to go back there. So, um, yeah, I don't struggle with the food at all. Not at all. All right. So it sort of sounds like uh, you've had a second chance at life. Yes, <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you made it through that health crisis very successfully, thanks yes. to your own sort of inner will to live and research skills. Oh, yeah. Um, but you've had another bigger health challenge. Yes. Um, I'm glad that we addressed the eating disorder uh, debacle because it's all kind of related. You know, I went through 20 years of starving my body and abusing it, which comes with a lot of systemic health effects. So I do have a hypertrophic heart. I do have a weak esophageal sphincter. I have scar tissue on my esophagus. Uh, anemia, like I've had a lot of issues. Uh, endometriosis is another one. I'm doing research on that because I'm finding a lot of people. They got to make that connection. So I'm on that one right now. But um, I can't have children, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of systemic effects, but um, you don't let that hold you back. Um, I did have an issue which goes to one of the medical errors that I encountered. I stopped going to doctors when I got myself better because they didn't understand eating disorders. They didn't understand the systemic effects and they looked at me like I had three eyeballs every time I said, no, it's because of this, that, well, there's no research. So of course they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, so I stopped going to doctors. I was completely healthy, managing or reversing my systemic effects until literally, and not to be gross to your audience out there, I literally could not use the bathroom in any capacity. Like um, bowel movements? Bowel movements, urination, anything. So it would, talk about painful. So I went through this. Um, I went to the emergency room. They said, it's IBS. I said, I have IBS. It's not that. They said, oh, you're constipated. I'm like, no, you're not. You're like, I, I know what that is. That's not what it is. I said, my muscles are frozen down there. They just won't move. Like there's no, not my, it's the muscles. And for a good year, I had all the tests done and they said, well, we can't figure it out. So I went back to my other doctor and they had me ready to do um, a full hysterectomy. They said, Wait a minute, a hysterectomy for? The endometriosis can sometimes strangle the organs in your abdominal cavity. So they figured maybe that was it. Maybe. Uh, I didn't want a full hysterectomy because I wasn't sure exactly what it was, but they said they'd go in there and look for the endometriosis. If it was a problem, they'd remove it and we'd see what would happen. So I went in for three procedures, um, which was botched. Um, the procedure 
did not turn out well. I've never been in that kind of pain in my life. And I am good with pain. <laughs> when I came out of surgery, I thought I was in hell. Um, the stitches were already busted because my body was resisting everything. Um, they didn't remove everything they said they were going to remove. Um, they didn't give me antibiotics. So I ended up with infection after infection, which again, they said it was crazy until they saw green ooze coming out of the wound. <laughs> um, that didn't go well. Um, so once I finally uh, recovered from that, I decided I was going to- How, so this particular, up to now, it sounds like it's been a year and a half or so from when you first started having the bowel problems until you've had these surgeries? Yes. I, it was a year and a half of being like that. So it was, it was very, very difficult, very painful. How um, did that impact your ability to work and socialize and- I do everything with comedy. <laughs> um, I'm not big on crying because it really doesn't solve anything. So if I can make fun of myself as much as possible and try to concentrate on other people, my clients, that would distract me enough to, uh, to keep going. You know, so I love my clients and they understood. I mean, I let them all know what was going on, but I didn't harp on it. I'm like, well, crack jokes. That's how you deal with me. Just crack jokes and I will be fine. <laughs> I need to keep it light. Um, it did impact uh, big time. Like, uh, it's, it's very hard when you have these power lifters and these bodybuilders that are trying to, you know, bench press 325 pounds. And the difference between them finishing it is me <laughs> trying to help them and spot them. Um, it, it did affect the training. I had to refer some clients out. I lost some business. Um, but what I could do, I did. So I stayed afloat pretty well. <laughs> okay. And maybe just at this point, tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of training you do. You said you're a fitness trainer. Yeah, actually, when I was getting better for my eating disorders, I decided from my research that I was going to go to the gym and get my heart strong. So I started doing cardio. Then I started looking at little two pound weights. And I, I had osteoporosis at the time too. So I knew weight bearing exercises would help with that. Um, so I started doing that. I would come up with my own OCD kind of routines. And then all of a sudden people started following me around what I was doing. And then the gym owner came to me and asked if I would teach a class. And I said, I don't know anything about this. I'm just trying to get myself better. And I said, but I'll teach a class. You just, I'm not certified. So um, I kept doing that for a little while. And then when I finally got stronger, I decided I really like this. I like teaching people this. So I went to school and I became a certified personal trainer. And it started with um, just helping people like me through eating disorders and rehabilitation. But then I found that the way I did things really helped with bodybuilders. So I got into that avenue for a while um, because it would help with their injury prevention and help them as well. So all the little tedious OCD things that I did uh, worked for good instead of evil on a large platform. Uh, right now, I'm kind of known in my area as uh, the, the fixer, the rehab chick, because just like how you're interviewing me, that's exactly what I do with clients. I, I want to know what they're doing, what does their eating habits, how many times you go to the bathroom. You go through the whole thing. I want to know your whole life so we can really attack what the problem is. Uh, same thing after surgeries, taking the mentality in along with it. It's my favorite thing to do because uh, people are pretty cool if you give them a chance and you listen to them, you know? <laughs> so. Oh, that, yeah, that is so key, listening. 
yeah. totally underrated. Yeah. So you come out of these surgeries with all of these problems, pain, oozing, pus, not yeah. believed. And then what happened? Um, I took all the antibiotics. I got better there. Um, during this, actually, I should probably time that out. Uh, the day after I had uh, the three, three in one surgeries, um, I had a healing abutment come out of my mouth. Um, I'm I, sorry, you had a what? Healing abutment. So, okay, what's, here what's you that? go. Here's the meat and potatoes. Um, after I was recovered and I became a personal trainer, I decided uh, I would get the dental looked at. Um, I didn't really have any problems, but I knew that uh, my bones were deteriorating, so I needed to see what was going on. Um, I was having pain in my jaw, and I was misdiagnosed there, too. I was sent home with a Vicodin from um, the emergency room about three times a week um, until I went to a dental clinic who said, you have an abscess in your jaw, honey. <laughs> you need to get this taken care of. So I got that taken care of, and then I went to university. Oh, I went to a prominent university, and um, they took really good care of me. Uh, they just wanted to make sure everything was healthy. Um, I had cadaver bone implants put in my face because the bone degenerated. Um, oh, had, Andrea, you had cadaver bone. I have not heard that term before. Well, Is that they have sinus lifts where they go in? A lot of people get them when there's not enough bone to get uh, implants but mine was extremely frail and deteriorated from the anorexia. So I had to get that So this is a bone from a cadaver, so it's an implant? Yes. Oh, wow, cool. I know, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I had some work done there and I had a full set of braces and um, then I was pretty much good to go. So I just lived my life until these surgeries and this uh, abdominal issue that I had. Uh, the day after I got out of that surgery, one of the healing abutments from an implant came out. So I called a local dentist and I said, can you just screw it back in? That's all I wanted. The day after surgery, I'm back in surgery for this. Um, he put it in and he asked me if I was planning on restoring the rest of my mouth. And I said, no, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't want to open up a can of worms because I don't want to have to keep explaining the eating disorder effects of everything they have to go through. The bite is very important, the esophagus. I'm like, you know what, I'm eating, I'm happy, business is good, I'm okay. Um, so my best friend who worked for him said, you know, let's put together a plan to protect her teeth. So that's what they did. They said they were gonna go in, put a layer of protection over my teeth, some composite, and it would preserve my teeth and I could go on about business. So I thought it over and I went ahead with it. And the day I went in, he just built up one tooth, about eight millimeters, and sent me home. So I had contact on one tooth. <laughs> it's, I know, that look, see, that reaction is exactly what the reaction should be. Um, that's not standard dentistry. Um, I don't know if he just ran out of time or what was going on, but he was supposed to do four teeth, and he only did one. So I went home, and I couldn't eat and my jaw started hurting and I couldn't talk because one molar built up, no other contact on your teeth. And then when I'd swallow, I would swallow a lot of air and due to the eating disorder effects, if you swallow the air and there's too much pressure, my esophageal sphincter is too weak to 
So any of the contents of my stomach would come up with the air involuntarily. That freaked me out. Being recovered from anorexia, bulimia, all that, being recovered from all of that, that is the last thing you want to encounter is involuntary regurgitation into your own mouth. I was like, I did not sign off for this. <laughs> uh, so the next day I went in, I said, please remove it. And he said, no, he refused. Uh, he said, I had not given it a chance, that it was in my head. And I explained again the effects of the eating disorders. And he just said, I'm not taking it out. I'll see you in a week. So I was stuck like that for a week and I lost seven pounds. I was very upset, especially being a bodybuilder and a weight trainer. I'm like, this is not acceptable. Um, so I went back in, he finally removed it and made a snide comment. He said, I never had to remove work due to burping before. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is not, uh, see, reliving it just is not good. <laughs> but um, yeah, since he had a relationship with my uh, best friend and I already paid all the money up front for this, um, I was apologizing to him. I'm really sorry this plan didn't work out. I'm really sorry. It's not what I signed on for. So that kind of calmed him down a little bit. And he goes, well, at least I'm going to replace those old fillings in your mouth. I had silver fillings, never had a problem with it, but I paid up front and it's my best friend's employer. So I said, okay, go ahead. He dug a little bit too deep. So that ended up needing root canals, um, not by him, but. Um, sorry, how did that happen? That yeah, deep. See, I, I don't, I think he just, he was digging out the old fillings. There were nothing wrong with the old ones, but he was digging them out. And I guess when you dig that out, you're getting some kind of uh, material. You're getting, you're getting tooth with it as well. So he was digging in, he was getting tooth as well. He went too far and it, it caused some, some pain and damage. I addressed it. He said it would go away. It never went away. So I ended up having to get root canals at a different place. Um, and paying for that. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun. Um, so after that happened, um, he asked me if there's anything else that he could do. And I said, can you put, uh, can you put crowns on the back of my abutments? Because I had abutments, but I didn't have the actual to it. What are abutments? Abutments are like little screws. You have implants that are implanted into your jaw, and then you have screws that go on top of it. Those are to hold it in place until they put like a tooth looking thing on top of it, your, your crown, until they put the crown on. So it's like a little peg. Um, I used them as teeth because that's what the university told me to do, to use them as teeth. So I did and I never had a problem with it for years and years and years. So he said he would not put crowns on the abutments, but he would be happy to close that little gap I had in my two front teeth and the chip that he caused. <laughs> And I was like, how did he cause the chip? That goes back to right after the university. I went in for a second opinion to see, to make sure everything was healthy. And he agreed with the university and everything else. And I asked for a uh, backup retainer. And instead he wanted to make me a bite guard for some reason. And he put this weird material on my teeth. And I remember saying, I'm like, that looks like melted Jolly Rancher. Is that going to crack my teeth? Like, is that going to harden? Because it wasn't like regular mold material. And he said, no, no, it's fine. He put it on and he took it off and it broke my tooth. He offered, he offered to fix it, granted. I, I declined because I still had my other retainer from the university and I had the fear that if he fixed it and it didn't fit just right, 
then I'd have to go and get all new everything. So my opinion, I didn't mind having a little bit of a snaggle tooth. I'm like, my personality should separate me anyway. Who cares, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, he went in to go ahead and uh, close in the gap, but I was nervous because of what already happened before. So he said, uh, we'll do the front two teeth. Later that turned into the front six teeth because he said, no, it's going to look funny if you just do the front two teeth. And I said, well, okay, you're the dentist. I was still nervous. So I said, can you mock it up? So I know that I'll be able to eat and talk. And, you know, if, if I can't eat and talk and function, I don't want anything done. I don't want to open up a can of worms. Like, I don't want to deal with it. What do you mean by mock it up? Um, it means that he does, like, uh, kind of like a practice where it's not actually adhered to your teeth. Like, it'll come right off but he kind of makes it what it would look like and what it would feel like, but it's not uh, permanent. Literally, uh, it felt, I think, four or five hours after we put it on, because you can't function with them, but it gives you the feel and the look, so you can kind of, if you talk, how does it feel, where's your tongue lie, and all that good stuff. So the mock-up was great. I was like, this is my mouth. Uh, beautiful, I can talk. My smile's my smile. I'm good to go. So I, I'll never forget, it was the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> where I went in to get the actual work done. So he took uh, two hours and did front two teeth. He put on composite. And then we took a break to vote and eat. And then I uh, came back for another four hours. He did the other four teeth. So everything, it, it looked fine. My bite was a little bit elevated. I just figured, okay, it's something I need to get used to, but I didn't have the swallowing problems or anything like that. What do you mean by elevated? Um, anytime they put material on your teeth, it's going to elevate it. Um, so it, it'll make it more vertical, the vertical rise. I always hear, now I know what it is. They call it the VDO. Um, <laughs> I've become very fluent in the dental terminology lately. Um, but the, the, the vertical dimension wasn't, wasn't too high and it didn't affect any of my function. The only problem was I started spitting when I was talking, because there were little little spaces in between this. So I reported it to him, he laughed about it. He goes, you're coming back in a week anyway, I'll finish up the last 10%. I was like, okay, I said, can I please get a retainer because my teeth shift really fast. He goes, if it makes you feel better, I'll do it, but you don't need one. Okay, that's uh, definitely false. But uh, a week later I went in, my teeth had already shifted. And um, instead of filling in the little gaps that were left, he took the sander and he sanded the outside of my teeth. And then he went behind my teeth and sanded the inside of my teeth, therefore eliminating all occlusion. So all those little bumps we have behind our teeth um, that make you masticate, that make you chew, and where you can say your S's and where your jaw lies, all of it was eliminated. So... My jaw was shifting all the way back because I didn't have anything to stop it. So now I had muscles holding my face forward so I could actually function. And then when it came to chewing, it was like, uh, it was like chewing on a nice slick. I couldn't get anything into little bitty pieces. So again, with my eating disorder past and my digestive issues from that, I really can't swallow whole food without being in excruciating pain during digestion. <laughs> So this was a big issue. Um, yeah, when he when he did when he eliminated the bite, that's when everything really really went 
went wrong. Um, the retainer, of course, didn't fit because that wasn't a real retainer anyway. Um, I was berated for a solid month. Um, I actually had my best friend who recommended him to me. Uh, she actually started sitting in on appointments with me because she could not believe what was going on, uh, the things that I was telling her. Um, I had excruciating pain when he eliminated the bite. Um, it was like sucking on a car battery. It was like metal and pain and sensitive and I couldn't sleep and the jaw was out of whack, headaches, and I still couldn't eat. So at this point, I didn't know what to do. Um, I called for another appointment. He made me wait a couple days. I went in and um, he pretty much just said, uh, I said, whatever you took off, put back on. And he said, I can't. It's gone. And I was dumbfounded because I said, I didn't want to open up a can of worms. Like, what did you do? And he said, I have to go. They're doing sewage work at my house. I'll see you on Monday. So he left me in that condition, or worse condition actually, through the weekend. Uh, so the entire month was a series of putting composite on the backs of my teeth, trying to create those little divots that we need to eat and chew and speak, and then taking it off and putting it on and taking it off. And my jaw was moved all over the place as he is yelling at me to bite in the same place. I'm like, how do I bite in the same place when nothing connects? <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to make me do. Um, at this point, I was, I, he had me thinking I was crazy. He really did, because he kept insinuating that everything was in my head. Um, so for a month, I, I was crying. I was getting sick to my stomach just going to the dentist, because I was afraid of what he was going to say and what he was going to do. Every time I left, I ended up in worse condition. Uh, so after a month, um, I decided to make two appointments in the same day at different uh, providers, and my suspicions were upheld that yes, uh, he screwed up, and he didn't want to admit it. He eliminated my bite, and now it was going to be a $30,000 fix. I don't have $30,000. I run my own business. <laughs> I think all my money back into my clients. So I'm just sitting there with a can of worms I didn't want to open, got open. He didn't want to take responsibility. I went back to him and reported what I learned, I said, my teeth have shifted. Um, you did screw up. And I said, you eliminated my bite. And he looked at me dead in the face and said, you never had a bite to begin with. And I said, what have we been chasing for the last month, Doc? I, I, it was a huge slap in the face. I do play stupid. I'm not going to lie. I play stupid with medical professionals and dental professionals because I do do a lot of research. I do know a lot of the medical terminology. But I do know that there is a level of respect and sometimes ego that goes along with practicing medicine and dentistry. And you have to tiptoe around that. I like personally when people come to me and ask me about exercises. It gives me a chance to explain it. I get excited that they want to know. I've never encountered that with a dental or medical professional. With eating disorders, with eating disorder pass, and with the digestive issues, and with all these weird systemic effects, they're more like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a hypochondriac. That is the whole reason why I avoided going to doctors and dentists. So to be slapped in the face with someone who knew my past health history, knows that I know my anatomy like the back of my hand, that has done all the research and gotten herself better, and to have him look at me like I'm an idiot and say, you never had a bite to begin with, I was devastated. Um, I went to a couple other providers after that. 
and they had no clue what to do. It was such a big case now. I had so many issues to deal with. My bite was so sensitive, the pain, the jaw, everything got blown up because of this situation that I finally got passed back to the first university that initially did all this work years ago. Just what sort of time frame are we dealing with now by the time you get back to that original university? Um, it was uh, December of 2016. Um, I severed contact with the dentist who eliminated my bite. Um, I saw other dentists around uh, this entire time up until February. And then finally, I was told by more than one professional to go back to the university. And there was a wait list, so it was May of 2017. So I had to wait several months to get back in there while I was in this condition. Um, not sleeping, I had um, a nervous breakdown in the meantime. When I went to the urgent care, they asked me what was going on. And I was like, I swear I'm not crazy. I just don't know what's going on. I have all this weird energy and I haven't been eating right and I'm not sleeping. And they said, you had a nervous breakdown and we're surprised you didn't have one sooner. You need to sleep. So they gave me sleeping pills, which didn't really work, but it's hard to fall asleep anyway because you keep replaying the things back in your mind and the, and the pain and the, you know, frustration of everything. So it was so a very, very hard time. It sounds like contributing to that was him blaming you and not believing you. Yes. And everything always goes back to the eating disorder, eating disorder. When it comes for professionals taking responsibility, they just say, oh, well, she had eating disorders. I'm like, I told you in detail from the beginning, if you would have listened, if you would have written it down what I said, none of this would have happened. But again, a lot of the times, and I can say all, because there are good medical professionals out there. There are. It just so happens the ones that I encountered were not. <laughs> they just thought I didn't know any better. Like I said, I do know better. I went through it and I did the research. But you, you, can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Exactly. <laughs> so at the university, um, I explained the whole situation. I brought my flex file. Yes, I have a flex file of uh, information just so I don't have to sit there and keep repeating myself. And they didn't even look at it. I brought my original molds of my mouth. They looked at it a little bit and they pretty much just went in and were going to restore. Um, they didn't uh, really take into consideration that now my jaw was completely jacked up. Now I have, you know, it's coming out of its joints. It doesn't have stabilization. It took them six months before they actually tested the jaw and they came back and said, yes, you don't have any stabilization in your jaw. I said, I said that six months ago. <laughs> so again, more pain for no reason, more complications. I said, because of my not having a bite, my teeth were getting loose and they were shifting. Uh, they said, don't worry, they'll reabsorb. That didn't happen. They didn't listen and taken that into accountability. And they ended up having to remove more teeth due to mobility, <laughs> not due to anything rotting out, not the health. It was just too mobile. We got to take it out. Again, I warned them months prior. I'm, I'm worried about this. I, it doesn't feel right. I'm kind of fluffed to the side, and there you go. There's another $2,000 procedure for something that could have been avoided. Um, I spent 16 months at the university. Um, 
the first the first round when I was there back in like 2008 2009 they were great I don't know what happened this time um I was working with three departments they uh retracted my gums and the roof of my mouth and did crown lengthening and um whittled away bone underneath my gums to try to make room for adjustments I uh, had stitches all in my mouth um like I said another extraction and implant at the same time they had to do that they put that in crooked <laughs> i found out and then uh they whittled down all my teeth to prep them for crowns but they did not have a plan so they whittled them down and they went to go put temporary uh snap on smile on and they said it shrunk overnight so they went to put that on top of my teeth and it didn't fit and they're trying to make it fit while I have exposed nerves all in my mouth, pulling on, taking it off, and I'm sitting there just going through the roof in the paint with the pain, going through the roof. Finally, they make a makeshift one. I'm walking out with horse teeth, and they leave me like that for a month. Still can't chew, still can't function, having a hard time even closing my mouth at this point. Um, I went back a couple more times. I said, get my original molds from way back in the day. That's my bite, just give it, give it back to me. The faculty member decided to ignore that for two months. I had a feeling she was ignoring it, so I found the number of my old orthodontist at the university, and she sent me those molds a month before my provider got the molds. So it was, obviously they didn't find that my condition was urgent enough to actually follow through on what they said they were going to follow through with. After that happened, I flew out to Minnesota to see my fiance. That's where he lives. He took one look at me and he took me immediately to a dentist out there. And the dentist was appalled. Um, there was infection. He went to mold me. Those makeshift teeth came right out with the mold, exposing the nerves again. He just shook his head and he said that you need to go to a specifically trained dentist from a specific institute. Um, he brought out panels. He go, I said, can you just do the work? I'm done with this. This has been over two years of pain. Please help me. He goes, I'm in Minnesota. You're in Michigan. It just makes more sense to go back to Michigan. You're about three appointments away. Everything is prepped. You just need someone who knows what they're doing with occlusion and you'll be fine. These people trained at this place are experts. Find one in Michigan, go there. So I flew home, did my research, because I've already been burned twice now, and I found uh, one of these expert dentists that had specialties in orthodontia, occlusion, TMJ, TMD, you know, and he was an instructor for this institute that would fly back and forth. What are TMJ and TMD, and what is occlusion? Okay, uh, I'll do the easy one first. Uh, occlusion is, like I said before, when your teeth fit together, they fit together in a specific pattern. So in order to not have any kind of joint dysfunction or headaches and be able to chew properly and sleep, uh, sometimes it even affects your breathing at night, sleep apnea, um, if your occlusion is not correct. It just means your teeth fitting together, kind of like a puzzle piece. Um, I didn't have any occlusion, so. That was, that was my thing. We had, to, we had to find my old occlusion and replicate it. Um, TMJ is a 
temporomandibular joint. So where the mandible meets the maxilla. Um, so that's the top and lower jaw? Yes. So yes, the maxilla is, is part of your skull. So your mandible is like your moving part of your jaw. And how it connects is your TMJ joint, which this institute called the money joint. <laughs> um, that is, it's a complex condition. Um, they really don't know if it should be treated medically or dentally. That's why usually it's a, a multidisciplinary kind of pursuit to tackle people that have severe TMD, TMJ dysfunction, you know. But no one's really getting on board with that. I'm actually currently in a lot of, I'm in a lot of communication with a lot of these um, organizations that actually do the research now. I'm writing a lot of letters based on my experience. And um, I've been in contact with, you know, presidents of foundations and they're very interested in the story because I'm very like in your face about it. I know I make jokes, I make it like it's light, but I figure we see enough people boohooing and crying about it. We need someone that's just gonna call it for what it is and, and just tackle it um, and let's do something about it. Uh, so that's kind of where I come in. I might do it with a little bit of humor, but I, I kind of tackle it that way. Um, yeah, these, these experts were supposed to be elite um, I found one close in my area. I made an appointment for, you know, a consultation and I brought again my flex file <laughs> of everything and my molds and detailed story. His assistant was taking notes as he was listening to me or so I thought. And he told me, this is not a problem. This isn't even a big deal. He goes, dentists these days, they practice like it's back in the stone age. They don't know what they're doing. He goes, I didn't learn anything when I was at the university. I didn't learn until I went to this specific institute. He goes, I have a foolproof way. He goes, the computer doesn't lie. We hook you up to the computer. The computer figures out your occlusion and your bite within fractions of a millimeter. Fractions. We can have you eating and functioning if you must eat. And I was like elated. I asked a lot of questions. I was extremely thorough. And then he gave me the flow chart of pricing, which insurance does not cover. And um, the first step of this procedure was to put a fixed orthotic on my lower teeth. I didn't have problems with my lower teeth. They still had enamel on them and everything else. I still had pain in those um, molars from that uh, replacement of fillings from 2016, but I was handling it. Um, so this fixed orthotic is kind of like a, a removable orthotic. It's kind of like a thick retainer that's supposed to relieve the muscles in your face and in your jaw for TMJ relief. Um, this was not removable. Uh, this was actually sent out of state to a different lab and came back and they adhere it and fix it on top of your existing teeth. You cannot remove it. Um, they're huge. <laughs> huge. I could barely shut my mouth. But again, I trusted that this is the way things are done. He hooks you up to a computer and he tries to figure out where um, all your discrepancies are, where your muscles are working too hard, and this is supposed to register where your bite is. Um, it failed multiple times. 
If something is supposed to get you into your physiological position, that's what it was called, your physiological position, your natural position, just like when you were born, it failed miserably because they first hook you up to a TENS unit. And I don't know if you're familiar with TENS unit. They're like the little patches uh, with electrodes and they, they stimulate the muscles. Um, he said they were to relax my muscles, but they actually stimulate your muscles. So it was put all over my face. It was supposed to relax me. Then I get hooked up to another computer with my face relaxed. Gently close your mouth, and that is your physiological position. We just take the mold. You are good to go. Except the problem was as soon as you sit in a chair and they hook you up to the computer, the computer was faulty. It wasn't registering. Then I'm getting messed with my posture and how to move. Now shift your jaw forward, shift it back. And I'm thinking in my head this whole time, if this is supposed to magically put me in my physiological position, why do I have to move at all? <laughs> like, I'm not understanding this. He said that was it. Uh, come back a week later. I came back a week later and he had uh, temporary teeth for my uppers. Um, he put those on and it was like Bugs Bunny on drugs. They were about twice as big as my teeth are now. Um, I have pictures. I even have the old um, bite guard that he has. I mean, the teeth, no joke, are over. They're huge. Could not shut my mouth. Jaw was still hurting. Still couldn't talk. Still could. So there was no improvement. Now I looked a hot mess on top of it. So still trying to work during this time. What, what ended up happening was another eight months at this um, expert dentist practice. Uh, during this time, he had his partner work on me to give me what I was told was two root canals. Um, I later found out it was only one and he just put a cap over the other one. So that would explain some of the pain that I was still having. Um, I found out that the x-rays that they took never turned out, which I was charged for, uh, but they never turned out. So they could have seen infection and things going on there, but didn't. I ended up in the ER with the stroke unit called because of dental. It was the pain. Uh, I only had that feeling one other time, like a decade prior when I had an abscess in my jaw. I started getting really a hard time breathing. My vision got really blurry. I was dizzy and I couldn't understand what was going on. Um, so I went to the ER and they immediately called the stroke unit and they said that I had a uh, transient uh, ischemic stroke. And then I went to the dentist two days later. That's when they said, oh, you need root canals. I said, you, you didn't know that a week ago? <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, what else happened? Um, oh, there's just so much. It was just a nightmare of no sleeping, immense pain, um, this orthotic, that was put on my mouth wasn't working and it was hurting. So, you know, this dentist ripped it off. And when I say ripped, I'm not kidding. Like you have to drill it and then you have to rip it. Well, in the meantime, I still have abutments back here that are implants that don't have teeth on them. So you're putting all this material in there and it's going around these screws and then you're ripping it. And I told him the first time he did that, that it hurt. He decided he's going to put it on again. We're going to try, we're going to start all over again. We're going to do this again. Go on the TENS unit, go on the computer, we're putting you in the lower orthotic. We'll get you back in the top temporaries. It was still a nightmare. And now I was starting to have pain searing through my jaw. 
into my head. My eye would not open all the way. It was so painful. Felt like someone stalked me in the ear. It was pain I have never felt before. I went in. I told him, please take it off. He goes, okay, we're going to try it one more time. So he rips it off again. The, I thought pain couldn't get worse. I ended up back in the ER. I hate, mind you, I hate going to doctors. <laughs> so for me to go to an ER and spend all that time, it, I have to be worried for me to actually do that. And last, I went in. Last resort. Yeah, it really is. I went in and uh, they told me, uh, they didn't know what it was. Um, it's probably TMJ. And I'm just sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. This is not TMJ. This is not temporal mandibular dysfunction. This is something searing through. It feels like someone's stabbing me in the brain. So finally, I went to a neurologist who right away said, you have trigeminal neuralgia. Now, trigeminal neuralgia, you're tri I don't know if you're familiar, but that there's a, it's a cranial nerve. Um, so it, it controls the movement and it controls sensation in your face. So when that goes awry, they call that the suicide neuralgia because it's that painful that people have actually killed themselves to get themselves out of pain. And I can understand that feeling because there were many nights where I just wanted to run my head into a wall. The pain would not stop and no medication, which I hate taking that too, but uh, no medication would touch this pain. I remember after that going to the dentist and he said, there's no such thing as trigeminal neuralgia. <laughs> and it was TMD and that they figure it out. I'm like, well, okay, at this time it's been six months already. When are you gonna figure it out? I'm hitting my breaking point. I can't survive much longer like this. I need to eat. I'm surviving on chugging olive oil, hummus, avocado, anything with fat that I don't have to chew. This is how I'm keeping my weight on so I don't end up anorexic again. <laughs> like, this is torture. He, he didn't know what else to do. He literally looked at me and said, I don't know what to do. And I said, give me my old bite back. The old one that functioned from way back in the day. I gave you the molds. I'll bring them back in. Please do it. So he says, fine. He makes shifts on my old bite. And he puts it on, but he doesn't cut down what he already had. So nothing's fitting again. So there's still huge. It was just a debacle. So I will say all told three or four times each appointment, I was having makeshift teeth put on and ripped off. Well, again, everything is exposed. So my nerves, it's just like scraping over nerves. And, and I, I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't take any more pain medication because they give me all the blocks that they could with the shot. That messes with your heart because that's got like ephedrine or something in it, but heart palpitations. I already have heart issues from the eating disorder thing. Again, it's just like if everyone just would listen to the health history and just do what they were going to say they were going to do, we wouldn't have to deal with any of these problems. It was one thing after another. So there were well over two dozen teeth taken off and ripped off and, and pain, pain, pain. I went back to the neurologist. She put me on new medication. It helped a little bit, but I can't work being on that medication. I still have to work. I'm in charge of making sure other people don't get injured. So I had to still work in pain and try to distract myself like I had been doing. Uh, she now said I had occipital neuralgia on top of trigeminal neuralgia because my jaw was so out of place that my cervical spine had changed position. From trying to chase 
a jaw position of comfort. So my neck was always bottlenecking, trying to find comfort. So now my I've been going through it for so long that now the curvature of my spine has changed in the cervical and the neck area, which was causing more pain. So it's like my whole head was nothing but pain. Um, the new medication, I, I, I took like a couple days off work and just tried it, tried to figure out what I could function on. And I found a pretty good system where I take like a half dose so I can sleep, but nothing during the day. That seems to work for me. I finally went back and uh, when the this dentist saw me on the next visit, he actually freaked out this time because I was literally trembling and twitching in pain. It was uncontrollable from the trigeminalgia and the TMJ and the pain and the nerves exposed on my teeth. It was everything. He grabbed an ultrasound machine, put it on my face, asking me if it was better. I'm like, no, I'm not better. Um, and he sent me home in that condition. All the appointments were a series of that. He tried, uh, he didn't know what he was doing. He was gonna confer with his colleagues from the Institute. Um, I kept asking him, please call the dentist in Minnesota, please. He knows what to do. He wouldn't call him, wouldn't confer, wouldn't confer with my doctors, wouldn't confer with a neurologist. He would actually say the opposite of my neurologist. It was, um, it was a debacle. Finally, he was uh, taking off to teach for this institute, and I was left at home with jagged metal in my mouth, puncturing my cheeks, bleeding gums, excruciating pain, and I had had enough. So I wrote an email to the office and I said, forward it to him wherever it is. And I said, you give me a refund on this while you figure it out, or you give me a refund and refer me. And not more than a week later, I get a box of teeth in the mail via FedEx. And I'm not saying just a box of teeth, I'm saying it is three sets of molds, two sets of temporaries, garbage, mold garbage, the kicker was actual finished zirconia crowns for my mouth. Where did he get those? We, we didn't even know where my bite was. We didn't talk shape, color, fit. We weren't even at a point to even do any of that. So I called the lab company where those were made, tell them the story. They're like, we can't release your records. I said, you can't release my records to me? No, our contract is with your dentist you have to go to court to get your own records. I was just dumbfounded. Inside the box of teeth though was a letter that said, um, you're not getting a refund. We have finished your treatment. We'd be happy to cement those teeth into your mouth, but it has to be done my way. Anything that he ordered, he jumped the gun and ordered on his own. We weren't at a point, but he's still charging me for it. I was, I, I couldn't believe it. After I got the box of teeth, I packed them up and I flew back to Minnesota to see that dentist that referred me to go to this, this particular trained institute place. And he looked at it and he couldn't help, he, he felt sorry for me, of course. He couldn't believe the pain I was in. But then when I showed him the contents of the box of teeth, he literally laughed. What the heck is this? He called his buddy in the next day to show him as well, who is an expert at oral surgery and dentistry, and he didn't know what it was. 
They said, that was in your mouth? And I said, yes. Is it what we were trying to do? And I said, I don't know. They ended up having to give me four immediate root canals on my teeth because this dentist in Michigan wanted to cement permanent crowns on dead teeth that he caused by putting teeth on and off, on and off, on and off. He just really wanted to cement that that in. That was like the biggest the biggest deal with the dentist in the last month was we'll just get your teeth in, and if it's not right, then we'll change them later. And I was you're not cementing anything into my mouth permanently. I'm not doing that, and I'm really glad that I didn't because now I have a box full of evidence to fight this on. It's go it's going to end up in court. <laughs> that's that's definitely what's going to happen. But I just I had a really hard time. You know, trying to figure out the ethics that goes on in the dental and medical community. Actually, any anything that works with health. The, the ethics, I don't understand because if you would have asked me back in 2016 with the dentist who eliminated my bite, if you would have apologized and then just said, you know what, it's going to cost you a little bit more. I'm going to work out a payment plan with someone who can get this work done for you. I would be fine. No problem, I wouldn't make a big deal of it. Same thing at the university. They would have not, they chose to abandon me after 16 months because they didn't know what to do. Well, if you would have said, we didn't know what, we don't know what to do, we're gonna call in some more experts, let's get together and figure this out, I would be fine. It's the same thing with, with this guy. Like, you only had one way of doing it, it failed not once, not twice, but three times. You're telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm teaching him about the human anatomy because I'm in fitness and he's asking me all these fitness questions. So he knows I know my stuff. I'm a massage therapist too. So it's kind of like, I know these things. And now you're going to treat me like an idiot. Now you're going to blame all of your behaviors and actions on my past eating disorders. It, it, you can't have it both ways. I know this is medical errors. I know this is mostly dental, but I think the takeaway from everything that, that I've been through has been Providers just need to listen. That, that's all. Like, it is so beyond simple. Listen and then treat people how you want to be treated. That's it. it that, that's all it would take. But the egos and everyone, you know, everyone's afraid of a lawsuit. Well, you know, if you're afraid of it, then if you make a mistake, apologize for it and rectify the mistake. You're far less likely to have any kind of, <laughs> you know, fight if you're being nice and you're being honest about it, um, it just was very unfortunate that it was been three solid years of misdiagnosis, fail to diagnose, unnecessary surgeries, unnecessary procedures, where I took the hit on all of it. You know, like everyone else is still living their life. They're going on their vacations. You know, they're out with their kids going to dinner. I'm still here going. I have fake teeth in my mouth that are ready to fall out. It's like a trash can in there because no matter how much you water pick, you can't get everything clean. And I'm living on avocados and olive oil. The, the, the vast number of medical errors I've been through in the last three years has just been insane. In, insane. Especially considering that for all the years of getting myself better, not once I need to go to the doctor for anything. <laughs> taking care of myself, listening to my own body. When I was sick back in the day from the eating disorders, and even before that, like when I, the, the best doctors I ever had were the ones that literally looked at me and said, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. 
I, that instilled so much trust that I literally, I use that in my own business. If I don't know, I straight up and I'll just say it. I don't know. I'll find out if I can't figure it out, we refer you out. And that always made me want to go back to that doctor because I felt like more like a team, you know, and I, I remember one, one with the eating disorders, he knew nothing. He goes, literally, we, we have two pages in medical school about this. He goes, I don't know, you're going to have to teach me. And he was the first doctor I was honest about with the eating disorder. Even being a filthy, manipulating liar as an anorexic, <laughs> I would be honest with him because he didn't pretend that he knew. So it, he was more of a te teammate than anything else. And I couldn't believe the number of people that, you know, it was always informed consent, informed consent, informed consent. Why are doctors, dentists, any kind of, even trainers, why are you saying you're going to do one thing and then doing another thing? We consent to one avenue of treatment. You don't really get to switch it on us. And if your avenue fails, then it's up to us to say whether we want to continue with you or not. But a lot of us are not afforded that. I wasn't afforded that. And the sad part is, you know, money, finances, time, work, the loss is with the patient. The doctors are not losing anything. They might be freaking out about malpractice suits and all this other stuff, but you know what? You have malpractice insurance. It shouldn't even really be an issue. Like, concentrate more on patient care than covering your own butt after you screw up. How much, yeah. just sort of a ballpark, how much do you think you've spent needlessly? I'm well, oh, geez, I'm close to 100 grand in. Wow. I don't have that kind of money. And I'm still no closer to being better. Um, Minnesota dentist did give me one that actually looks better. It still doesn't function. But he did make me a, a retainer that I can wear at night. So I do get to sleep. So I have to give him definite props for that. He is amazing. Uh, for, definitely. Yeah, about a hundred grand. I use my life savings. I, I use a little bit of chump change for the first one that started this whole thing. It wasn't a huge amount. It was about 5,000, which is still big for me. The last one was the one that hit me the hardest though, because at that point I went in and I said, I have nothing left. I told him I worked really, really hard from being like a homeless anorexic chick into owning my own business that I, I worked hard to get my credit score up to open my own gym. And it's very important to me that I wanted to, wanted to do this. And I told him I don't have any extra funds at all, period. I'm not going to go into debt over this. And if you can't fix it for sure, I'm not doing it. And I looked at loan options and there was nothing that I could justify and nothing I could really qualify for that I, for that huge amount of money. At first he said $50,000. I can't do it. He said, okay, $25,000. I, I looked into it. And I couldn't, and I let them the, let them know. And the manager of that dental office took it upon herself to use my information to apply for loans without my knowledge. Uh, that was another big deal. Uh, that's another fight I'm going through. And she emailed me and said, uh, "Come in the office. Uh, we worked some. We figured something out." And I was like, "I thought they were going to put me on a payment plan or something." I walk in, I'm in pain, the whole thing, and I get paper shoved in my face. And I said, what's this? And they said, $4.50 a month. And I said, are you going to get me functioning so I can take on my clients on the wait list? You know, are you going to get me, she said, two months, he said. And I said, okay, it's two months. Okay, I can swing it. Sign the papers. Little did I know that they took out $25,000 worth of loans. And me signing that paper meant that they could extract the entire fund. 
They extracted $25,000 in one day without doing any work. And eight months later, I'm in worse condition and work still wasn't done. So now I'm battling with the loan company because the dental office won't refund the money. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm facing bankruptcy right now. I'm not really proud of that. That's probably more, more embarrassing than anything else. But it is what it is. It's the truth. I'm facing the bankruptcy because of, of this. And it makes me mad. Because to be honest, it's, it's not my fault. You know, these people got away with it. They got my money. I'm in worse condition. And now I really won't have funds to get fixed. Once you file bankruptcy, goodbye credit cards. So this is my life. I, I'm going to stay positive with it. I'm also staying positive what's going on with the, the new findings of dental boards. I know recently there was one, you know, the entire, almost the entire board re resigned last week due to corruption with dentists. And uh, a lot of those dentists that were in cahoots happened to have been trained at the same institute as my dentist. So um, there are a lot more victims out there than just me. Mine might seem a little bit extreme, but I've been in contact with some other dental victims that got treated by the same type of provider. And um, mine is peanuts compared to a, a couple of them. Like it, it breaks your heart, but we're all, we're all, we're all teaming up together. And our, our big thing is, isn't more of uh, money and stuff like that. Yes, we want our situations rectified. We do want that. But the fact is that this is going on knowingly, like the destruction of the mouth, like these partic this particular place, they teach this to overdrill, overtreat healthy teeth that don't need it, to push you into a full mouth reconstruction that costs $100,000. People all over the world fly to this place to learn the credentials to do this. And they don't, they're not real credentials. No one there, they're not offering a license at this place. These are all just continuing education classes. So it's like me as a trainer going and taking a class on um, neurosurgery, saying that I can do brain surgery. Oh, I took a weekend class. I know my anatomy and then going and practicing it. That's pretty much what's happening. And there, the boards and the powers that be are aware of this. So that's our big thing right now. Is they're aware of it, now what are they gonna do about it? These errors don't need to be happening. And once they're called to attention, the, the powers that be need to start taking action on it and not continue to allow it to happen. I'll be very sad if in another five or 10 years, you're gonna have another me on your, on your stream talking about the exact same thing that happened to them when it's not needed. So this whole experience has uh, turned you into an advocate. Yes. Because until this happened, I never really took time. I was so much into the biz, into my business. I never took time to actually say, what do I want to do with my experiences? So I did sign up with um, Eating Disorder Advocacy Group. And I was in 2016, when this first started, went out to Washington, D.C. on Lobby Day and gave talks at the Senate building. Here in Michigan, I was recognized at the House of Representatives for Eating Disorder Awareness uh, Week. And now I'm getting on this. Yes, if anybody is, if anybody wants is having issues with their dental and needs like the community, I have a small community. We we text each other and email each other, and we keep in contact just so we know we're not alone. 
Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your horrifying, frightening story. Um, I hope the resolution comes quickly, both financially and dentally, and that your advocacy work uh, continues moving forward. Thank you so much, Scott. You have a lovely day. Well, thanks to Andrea for sharing her ongoing dental horror story and for speaking out about the lack of accountability in the dental industry. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean and other podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron. Are you dealing with your own experience with medical error? Do you require the support of an experienced counselor? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others.